everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our Y&R chat for Sunday, November 18th, 2018. Did Nick really just ask Phyllis to move in with him? He watched Sharon and Billy walk out of that Jaboutique party together, probably assuming that they were going back to her place to have sex in the bed where he used to have sex with Sharon in the house that he built for Sharon. And then he turns around and asks Phyllis to move in with him. Are Nick and Phyllis a power couple? Or are they just a desperate duo? <laughs> That's our poll question for the week at yrchat.com because I'm getting desperation off of both Nick and Phyllis on a level. I'm not saying that there's no chemistry. They have sexual chemistry, but I just don't see how anyone, even in soap opera world, can go from being totally committed to one person to being totally committed to a, a different person in just a span of a few weeks. Nick and Sharon were standing at the altar the first week of October. It's now mid-November. A month and a half ago, Nick and Sharon were saying their vows while Billy and Phyllis were sitting in the pews getting engaged. And now here we are. Nick and Phyllis want the world to believe that they are a power couple. Nick and Phyllis want the world to believe that they've moved on. But have they? Have they really, really moved on? Because when Billy and Sharon showed up at that Jaboutique party, both Nick and Phyllis were separately and together eyeballing them the entire night. <laughs> Leave it to Nick to have no problem waltzing right up to Sharon to question her, not only about her relationship with Billy, but also about her relationship with Ray, as if there is any planet on which he is entitled to ask questions about her personal life. And while Phyllis didn't seem quite as bothered by Billy's relationship with Sharon, Phyllis was bothered by Billy overall. And then as the party progressed, she really softened up on him quite a lot. All week, Billy was seething with anger toward Phyllis because she's launching the Jaboteeks, the idea that he originated when he was CEO. I completely get 
why he was angry about it on a personal level. I think that Jabotiques were the one thing that Billy felt he could be proud of, the one accomplishment that he was hanging on to from his time, his short tenure as CEO of Jabot. And he sees Phyllis as taking credit for that idea while she's also marginalizing him from the family company. But, I mean, did he really think that Phyllis was going to pump him up, give him credit for the idea when she stepped in to take over the mess that was created by him and also after he slept with her daughter? Billy confronted Phyllis at the launch party and he tells her that he will happily tell everyone, including the, the media, that he was the originator of the Jabotique idea. And Phyllis tells him, oh yeah, you want to go to the media? You want to tell people that? Well, maybe I'll decide to break my silence about all of the gory details which led to you losing the title of CEO. And I thought, well, she's got a lot of leverage here. That's a good piece of leverage over Billy. But then <laughs> Phyllis has a somewhat brief but heartfelt talk with Jack. You remember Jack, the guy that she made an unnecessary enemy of last week? Okay, well, this week she was listening to him as he argued that she should be giving Billy the credit he deserves. Give him something. Give him a little something. And Phyllis goes along with it. She pulls aside a reporter and starts singing Billy's praises, talking about how integral he was to coming up with the concept and taking some of the attention away from the work that she's done. The night was supposed to be about celebrating Jabotique and her accomplishment in actually launching it, and she graciously, I suppose, decided to shine some of the spotlight on Billy. Why would she give him an inch? Why? That's my question. Was she afraid that he was going to call her bluff and go to the media anyway? Or is she about to make a really big mistake letting her guard down around him? Phyllis needs to be careful around Billy. He wants her thrown out on her butt ASAP. He had a conversation early in the week with Kyle where Kyle is saying, look, we just need to play the long game when it comes to Phyllis. Let's let her implode and watch it all as it goes down in flames. I don't think that Billy is content to sit back idly and watch Phyllis do anything. I think he wants to make sure that she gets thrown out of that CEO chair sooner rather than later. Gee, <laughs> I hope that Phyllis doesn't have any secrets that Billy might discover about her that could be used against her. A new relationship 
deserves a new bed. <laughs> but not if the old bed is stuffed with wads and wads of cash. <laughs> oh my goodness. Mariah thinks she is doing a really nice thing for Tessa. She's moving into Tessa's apartment and thinks, I'm going to pitch this crummy old mattress of hers and I'm going to have a new one delivered. Mariah probably got it delivered from the same place that Ray got his mattress delivered from a couple of weeks ago. What's with YNR in the mattress? right now. I'm not sure. But Tessa comes home and Mariah thinks she's surprising her girlfriend with this awesome gift. And Tessa is just standing there looking like she is going to cry, faint, and kill all at the same time. Tessa flips out. How could you throw away something of mine without asking me? Oh, I felt so horrible for Mariah because it was such a wonderful gesture, such a wonderful way to start out a new relationship. If somebody, anybody wanted to come into my house, throw out my old mattress and give me a brand new one, I would be thrilled. <laughs> But <laughs> Tessa has just gone through the process of removing all of that money that we saw in her duffel bag last week into the mattress. She stuffed it into the mattress and now it's sitting out by the dumpster. <laughs> so instead of this wonderful homecoming wherein Mariah and Tessa break in the coils on that new mattress. <laughs> the alternative thing happened where Tessa sneaks downstairs to the dumpster the very first chance that she gets to find her money mattress. She probably had to wrestle a homeless guy off of it. And she goes inside and she pulls out all of her bills, her stacks of cash, puts them back into that duffel bag. And of course, Mariah comes around the corner at that exact moment, sees the whole thing. And then in a very dramatic way, <laughs> waits until the next morning to reveal this to Tessa. She won't say anything about it all night. She waits till the next mo morning, gives Tessa a rude awakening when she jostles her out of her slumber by tossing all of this money on the bed and dumping it there and asking Tessa, what is this? She's demanding answers, demanding that Tessa account for the $230,000 that she just happens to have laying around her apartment. Oh yeah, that's right. Mariah counted it. At first, Tessa lies. She says that she made the money by selling one of the songs that she stole from Mariah so that she could pay off those goons. 
okay, first of all, nobody is going to pay you $230,000 for a single original song. You would be lucky to get $230. And second, here's the good part. That means that Tessa actually netted $250,000. Hmm. The exact amount that was paid to that mysterious blackmailer who was blackmailing our Margarita Mama Bandits. <laughs> oh, so now the audience and Mariah all know that Tessa is lying and Mariah is standing there looking at Tessa, knowing it, feeling totally betrayed by her. Tessa has no more answers. She simply asks Mariah to just forget it. Just forget that she ever even saw the money as if that were possible. So Tessa tells her, okay, Here's the thing. I cannot tell you where this money came from. I cannot involve you in any of this. So Mariah says, fine, if you're not going to be honest with me, I'm leaving. Mariah packs up her suitcase and she walks right back out the front door that she was walking in just a couple of days ago with all of this hope for a new relationship. Mariah goes back to Sharon's house. She talks to Sharon a little bit. She talks to Kyle a little bit. I liked the scene between Mariah and Kyle because Mariah made this wonderful point about the dynamics of her relationship with Tessa by saying that her life is an open book, but Tessa is more of a puzzle. And I think that's so very true. I tell you, I think I'm just getting too old for people who are puzzles. <laughs> Kyle encouraged Mariah to keep on keeping on. I don't think I would have done the same. But Mariah also goes to get a second opinion. She talks to Devon. Hey, he's got experience with dating and marrying someone who was never completely honest throughout the relationship. Ouch! I'm feeling so bad for Devon right now. YNR has definitely been trying to make a parallel between Tessa and Hillary throughout the course of the past week. And Mariah and Devon talked through the decision that you have to make in being involved with someone like this having to forgive them, having to accept who they are um, if, you know, if you want to continue on with them. I think that Devon is just living in this world of loss right now, and he does not want Mariah or anyone else to feel the loss that he's feeling right now. Devon's pain hasn't gone away. I mean, he's been walking around town, he's been talking to people, but he is still someone who hurts in the middle of the night. He's still someone who lies there in bed weeping for the love that he has lost and the life that he could have had.
Devon handled that conversation with Mariah with such grace. He has this wonderful insight about how and why people are different. And he talks about the fact that a lot of it goes back to the way we were raised. And your parents are the ones who give you the first tools for life. And some of us get love and kindness as tools, whereas some of us get lies and deceit. And keeping that in mind, Devon encourages Mariah to embrace Tessa for who she is, not for what Mariah is wanting her to be. Which would all be so amazing if Devon weren't the one who busted Tessa out to Mariah for asking him for that money. Clearly, Devon had identified Tessa as a con artist quite a while ago, and he didn't want Mariah to get hurt. So he told her about it. And this was before, or sorry, this was after Hillary had died. And so now Devon is telling Mariah to lean into the lies? That was weird. I don't know. <laughs> If Mariah were my friend, or I can't help snapping into mom mode for a second, because Mariah, if she's in her early 20s, is probably young enough to be my daughter. I think I would have encouraged Mariah to step out of this puzzle, step away from the people puzzle, and start moving on with her life with someone who is a little bit easier to piece together. <laughs> but this is a soap. It is not reality. So Mariah goes right back to that apartment to talk to Tessa and to get down to the business of peeling away the layers of Tessa. <sighs> what a relief. I just feel extreme relief to hear Tessa from her own mouth finally dispel and confirm all of the things that we've been speculating about for over a year now, telling us about her character, telling us that yes, she is a grifter. She came to town as a con artist. She was hoping to carve out a little piece of that money amongst these billionaire families who wouldn't even miss having a little of it. And that makes sense. That feels consistent. Nikki Newman was the first person Tessa ran into when she came into town and we were speculating about whether or not she was just trying to get in with the Newmans way back then. So the fact that Mariah felt that these people, these Newmans were conable makes sense. And it also leads credence to why she would feel completely comfortable blackmailing Nikki for the money. I mean... Tessa felt no qualms about blackmailing Nikki, the woman who gave her her first chance in Genoa City, the woman who gave her a place to stay when she was sleeping in her car. 
The fact that Tessa revealed herself to Mariah and to us as the blackmailer uh, doesn't really even bother me. A fraction of the amount that it bothers me that Tessa revealed herself as having used Noah. More than anything else this week, that was what was so disappointing to me to hear because it completely negated any positive feelings I had about Tessa and Noah's romance and that was not an insignificant romance when it was going on. I was rooting for him. But more importantly, that revelation about what was really going on between Tessa and Noah, at least in Tessa's mind, it colors any future feelings that I could possibly have about Mariah and Tessa's romance. Tessa was deliberately dating Noah, planning to marry Noah just so that she could divorce him and take half of everything that he had. Oh, but you, Mariah, you changed everything. Falling in love with you was never part of the plan. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Sorry. Sorry. This is the part where I have to be, I have to snap into friend mode. I have to snap into mom mode. I have to completely project my own experience onto this situation, my own uh, tolerance level for the way people treat me. Like, this is a complete projection on me. <laughs> but. I could not, in good conscience, listen to someone tell me, point blank, that they use and lie to people, and that they lied and used people in my family, and then believe another word that comes out of their mouth. No, no. I could not believe, you cannot believe that you're the one you're the special one that's going to change them. If someone's telling you <laughs> that they will man that they have manipulated in a relationship, they will surely manipulate in your relationship. I am sorry. That is the moment where Tessa and Mariah were over for me. That is also the majority vote on last week's poll. I asked you guys, are you rooting for the Mariah and Tessa story? 69% of you said, no, not rooting for them. Want the relationship to end with 31% wanting the relationship to prevail. And those were that was a very vocal 31%. And I don't want to discount the Mariah and Tessa fans. But I just also have to give you my opinion here too. I voted yes originally that I was rooting for Mariah and Tessa and I'm not completely ruling out the possibility that YNR might give us some more information that would redeem Tessa, but it's gonna take a minute. If YNR wanted this relationship to succeed and be rootable, 
They needed to let Tessa keep on being the cool chick serving coffee at the coffee house for a little while longer. And they should have let her do something devious after she and Mariah had had a chance to be stable for a while. Mariah and Tessa have never been stable. When Mariah initially revealed that she was in love with Tessa, Tessa was with Noah Tessa told Mariah, no. Tessa let Mariah think that she didn't have any feelings for her and that it was completely one-sided, when in reality, we know now that Tessa was just choosing her little scam to get Noah's money over anything she did feel for Mariah. And then there was the journal theft, which ultimately, if you think about it, is another money scam to boost her career so that she could become rich and famous. And Mariah, to her credit, was able to bring herself to forgive that. And now here we are, Mariah and Tessa, finally happy for 10 minutes, and YNR goes and pins this entire blackmail situation on Tessa, turns her into a devious character who's been tricking us all for the last two years, and they've undermined it. They've undermined the, the the trust in the relationship between Mariah and Tessa, and frankly, <laughs> the trust in the relationship between me and Tessa. <laughs> oh, look! It is not that there that YNR characters out there have not done worse. That's not my problem at all. No one is moral on this show. Characters have to make wrong decisions in order to remain interesting. But if Te- if Mariah were to forgive Tessa now, I would feel like she's settling for what's right in front of her instead of actually reaching out towards someone who could be a great worthy mate for her that's not going to play games with her. I just, there are plenty of fish in the sea, Mariah. (laughs) I guess that's how I'm feeling now. The thing is, uh, chemistry is only half of a successful relationship. By their own definition, the other half is timing. And Mariah and Tessa, they don't have it. I don't think they've ever had timing. I am so totally projecting my own values onto this situation because I have a hair trigger tolerance level for any type of attempts at manipulation on me or anyone around me. And so when it comes to Tessa, everything from here on out has to be airing on the side of caution as a manipulation. Until Tessa proves me wrong over time, I will err on the side of assuming she is still manipulating. And I'll tell you what else. It really bothers me when it comes to this blackmail that Tessa said staunchly to Mariah that she was not going to give Mariah any of the details around how she got the money or who she was blackmailing. She was very firm about that, so much so that Mariah left and came back. And then, little by little, started to come out. She revealed that it was Nikki who who paid her. 
And then Mariah asks for more details. And Tessa flippantly says, why don't you, 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 you want to know more? Why don't you ask Sharon? Why don't you ask your mother and tell me if you'll ever be able to look at her the same way again? Even as I have been looking at her just fine while I've been pouring coffee at her coffee house, taking her paycheck, defending her when Phyllis comes into the place. But if I tell you this, Mariah, you will never be able to look at your mother again. So just drop it. No. <laughs> no. I don't buy it. Tessa had one piece of information that could save her entire world from blowing apart, and Mariah wants it. If Mariah actually did go to Nikki or Sharon, Tessa would be busted. So she might as well use the one piece of information that she has as leverage to keep herself safe, to keep her cash stashed, and to keep Mariah in her back pocket. The technique is, and watch for it next week, deflect attention away from what she's done by putting it onto someone else because what the other women have done is worse. Oh. Mariah, sorry to tell you that this is totally going to ruin your relationship with your mother. Love you. So Tessa opens up her laptop and shows Mariah the proof that she has. We see this hidden camera footage from Victoria's garage time stamped from the night of JT's disappearance and it clearly shows Sharon and Nikki and Phyllis and Victoria dragging a body rolled up in a rug table. Oh, oh how heavy JT is. Tossing him in the back of their car. <laughs> Driving off with it. And Tessa explains that she came across this footage when she was working for Nick. Late one night, she was going through... All these files that Nick was asking her to transfer. And she came across a bunch of emails from JT. Now, everybody in town knows that JT disappeared, so she couldn't help but be a little curious. She opens up these emails, and it links her to a place where this video footage is being stored on the cloud. So... Apparently, while JT was living and with and abusing Victoria, he was also surveilling her. He had various cameras of his own, in addition to Victor's cameras, that were surveilling the house. Um, and, and, and what he didn't know was that he was going to ultimately catch some footage of a crime that was being committed against him. What a twist. So when Tessa digs further into these emails, she also finds that a bunch of other files. JT apparently had tracker devices everywhere. He was tracking everything. And after a little digging, Tessa uh, was able to find out, find one of these little trackers that led her right to Chancellor Park, right to the very spot under a statue that Ray now has sealed off 
as a crime scene. Ugh, the only piece that Tessa was not able to put together was why Nick would have this footage on his Dark Horse servers and Mariah was able to quickly feel, feel, fill that piece of information in. It was because Nick was impersonating JT and he was hacking those Newman servers. So that must have been how Nick got the files. He didn't even necessarily know that they were there, surely. And so, yeah, wow. Secret revealed. Mariah's life blown up in an instant. The two most important people in her life. And now she doesn't know what to think. She doesn't know who to trust. Mariah's still sitting there with Tessa. And Tessa is continuing to plead self-defense. Tessa explains to her that she really wanted to be the person that Mariah needed her to be, but that's just not who she is. And her ultimate obligation was to herself and to her sister. And if she would have done this whole blackmail thing and asked for $20,000, everybody would have put two and two together that it was her. Everyone knew that's the amount that she needed. So she asked for $250,000. Might as well go all in on the amount. And by the way, Tessa was able to secure her little nest egg by making like, copies and storing them on an encrypted server for safekeeping. So even if Mariah or anybody else wanted to delete them, she couldn't. <sighs> Tessa only showed Mariah that evidence, the evidence of a crime, because she knew that there were secure copies out there that couldn't be deleted. Tessa claims that she was never going to go to the police, which probably would have been the right thing to do. <laughs> oh, but she would rather just be quietly disgusted by everything she found out and then maybe make a little money off of it. <laughs> Don't alert the authorities. Just cash in. I'm sure that Tessa did that for Mariah, though. You know, so that her mother wouldn't go for prison. Go to prison. <sighs> the one thing I guess I will give Tessa credit for is the fact that she took ownership for what she did, finally, after, I mean, what is it, almost two years now of lying? Tessa says, look, Look, Mariah, look, audience, this is who I am. This is the truth. This is what I did. This is what Sharon did. So now we're transitioning into casting all of the attention onto Sharon and the others, redistributing some of that betrayal, mix it around a little bit. A masterfully clever technique to get someone to stop looking at what you've done and start looking at what someone else has done. Very good con. Oh. Mariah loves and trusts her mother. Um, I mean, Tessa blackmailing and terrifying her mother is, is, 
a hard pill to swallow. It's surprising that it never occurred to Tessa that there would be more to the story. Tessa seemed to think instantly that all four of these women just jumped JT and murdered him in cold blood. And that's not not fully the truth. Um, there's still truth to be had. Mariah runs out on Tessa once again to go find more answers. Mariah has to talk to Sharon. And from the previews of next week, that's exactly what she's going to do. I can't wait to see how Sharon navigates Mariah's questions and what Mariah's next move will be. Will Mariah be as angry with Sharon as she is with Tessa? I don't know. Is Mariah going to forgive both or either of them? <sighs> Sharon's position is a little more understandable to me, but maybe that's just because Weiner has given us backstory to what happened with Sharon and the others. But um, since Sharon is Mariah's mother, I think that she will ultimately understand. I, th I think that Mariah will understand that Sharon was legitimately trying to keep her daughter safe from being implicated in a crime, a very serious crime. I would do everything I could to keep my daughter out of it too. And so therefore you wouldn't be able to tell her. Um, but Tessa, though, I, as I said, I just don't think that YNR has invested enough in her individual character to give her her own legs to stand on if the relationship with Mariah is removed. Why should I want to forgive her? There has to be more. There has to be a reason. There has to be something there, which maybe YNR will give us. Maybe they won't. Um... But, I mean, I, I, I'm, I had to dig in deep on this storyline this week. This was the one that affected me. And that in and of itself has made it effective, I think. I'm putting myself in Mariah's shoes and thinking about what I would do. And if I were Mariah, I will tell you right now, I would never walk back through that apartment door into Tessa's life. In fact, I would make it my personal mission to bust Tessa out. I would find a way to bust her without busting out my family. Or I would straight up go in there and steal that money back and give it to Nikki. <laughs> I would want revenge. That's how I would deal with Tessa. How Sharon should be dealt with, let's keep in mind, is a separate story. There are two different betrayals and lies that went on here, both of which should have their own separate consideration and consequences. One misdeed does not wash away the other. And none of what Tessa revealed explains where JT or his body are Ray has been stepping up his investigations now that he is officially investigating a homicide. He questions Victoria this week, and Victoria totally blew it. She's sitting there in the police station, and she does ask them first the question that I was asking last week. What makes them even think that JT is dead? 
But rather than asking questions about JT's body or like, did they find my ex-husband's remains? Victoria jumps to asking questions about whether or not they found his DNA. <laughs> Almost as if she knew they wouldn't find a body, but they might find traces of a body. So Ray finds this instantly suspicious. <laughs> Brings her in for more questioning. He, he does his... Like, Victoria is talking to Ray, and she's doing her best job at offering these spacey, hollow answers. But at the end of the day, Ray can see that Victoria looks so guilty. Even her lawyer, Michael, thought that she looked guilty. After that interview, Michael had a talk with her privately and said, uh, is there anything you might want to tell me? <laughs> Oh, I mean, who could blame her? She's been through so much. Ray lets her go. She's not arrested. But he also tells her not to be going making any travel plans. Ugh. Ray also questioned Nick. But more interestingly to me, Ray questioned Nikki. He questioned Nikki about Victor. Nikki came in to basically defend Victor against the charges since he's not in town to do it himself. The more I think about it, I tell you what, the more plausible it is to me, and I'm coming around on the idea that Victor actually was involved in all of this. I mean, who would have more of a motive to get involved than Victor? JT tried to kill him. He roughed up his daughter. I can completely see it. We learned this week that Victor was off in Singapore, and I'm sure that that's coinciding with Eric Braden's European trip. I tell you, I wonder if YNR is just going to end up stretching this investigation out until, say, mid-December when Eric Braden comes back, and then I wonder if they're just going to quickly pin the moved body on Victor, the same way they pinned all the blackmail on Tessa this week. Early in the week, Ray was giving Sharon the cold shoulder. So she gets up in his face to question him about it. So he grabs her face and kisses it. <laughs> Passionately. Oh, it has come to a head. Immediately, they decide we better never do this again. In fact, we should meet later tonight at my apartment to talk about how we should never do this again. <laughs> That's why I love soaps. Right there in a nutshell. Sharon comes knocking on Ray's apartment door later that evening, looking like she was dressed for a date, by the way. And guess who's inside Ray's apartment? Oh, yes! Ray's wife, Mia, has come to Genoa City to reconcile with her husband. Ray is standing there in between his wife and his kind of girlfriend looking like a dead man. <laughs> 
look on his face just said it all. That actor who plays Ray has earned my respect this week. I was right on board with him. I was right on board with Sharon too. Poor St Sharon was standing there looking heartbroken and also not knowing what to say at the same time, needing to cover for Ray, saying, uh, oh, i just here to fix your oven. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sharon. Ray was there to fix your oven. <laughs> oh, I loved it so much. It was so obvious. Mia is no fool. This girl is real. She knows what's up. She knows damn well there's something going on between Sharon and Ray. Sharon is sharing a space with Ray uh, at the coffee house building. Sharon's sharing the space with Ray at the police station. So Mia wastes no time confronting Sharon, telling her to back off. Ray is hers. I kind of loved it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a big, big, big Sharon fan, but I kind of have been getting the feeling that maybe Sharon's a little bit afraid that Mia was going to kick her ass. <laughs> I fully believe Mia might be able to do it too. Mia looks like a scrapper. Oh, it was really fun. I instantly love Mia. I know not everybody feels that way. To me, she is the troublemaker of the fun variety. I really enjoyed her scenes this week. I think the actress has a really funny way of delivering her lines. She just is, She's just so casual and just has this like smile on her face, even as people are greeting her with scorn. I just, I, I enjoy the games. I'm sure that they will get old as time goes on, but this week I just loved it. It's been such a long time since a character came on the show being so bold, interacting with so many different other characters on the show. I mean, she really, really busted onto the scene. And I love that YNR has made her a hair and makeup stylist. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. I loved her when she was handing her business card over to Lauren and the way she described herself and her skills like she was the best makeup artist in the world. <laughs> and she was able to take her first job. Just the fact that she was wheeling in her makeup case into Jabot for the Jabot Power Femme photo shoot. It was fabulous. Ugh. Most of all, I loved the two tiny little moments of interaction that we had between Mia and Billy. Like, forget Billy and Sharon. I could, like, fine, I guess, maybe, yeah. But M Mia and Billy, that is so much hot potential happening in a little cocoon right now. They could be hands down the steamiest couple in Genoa City. I would be all for it. I can see it in my mind right now. <laughs> and it is so sweaty. Billy and Mia, that would be hot. <laughs> Get on board. See, you know what it is. YNR is just moving her around town, having her interact with a bunch of people, and then they're just going to see what the fan reaction is to them all. And then a couple months down the road, we'll get uh, Mia in a relationship with whoever the fans have reacted to positively 
enough. And so I'm putting my hat in the ring for Mia and Billy. The way she was flirting with him at the coffee house. Mm. And the way Sharon overheard it, too. And then Mia floats by Sharon, who was clearly flummoxed, clearly thrown off by Mia. Like, Sharon is used to being the hen in that little coffee hen house. And now Mia's up in there. Sharon was looking a little scared. And Mia just walks by her and says, Ooh, you kind of look bad. You might want to go get some concealer. It's on sale at Jabot. <sighs> Oh my gosh, I love Sharon so much, and yeah, I thought that moment was delightful. I think Mia would be a delightful challenge for Sharon. We are witnessing a great cat fight in the making. When these two women finally do come to blows, the fur will fly. Sure enough. Mia introduces herself to Abby at Crimson Lights and gets super cozy with her right off the bat, posing for selfies, talking about makeup, and oh yeah, Abby's boyfriend Arturo, who also happens to be Mia's brother-in-law, slash ex-lover, slash ex-boyfriend. I like it. I like it so much. The web, it is tangled. On the surface, Mia seems like she is completely devoted to fixing her marriage to Ray. Mia has let Ray know with her body <laughs> many, many times <laughs> that she is here to reconcile with him, specifically saying she don't want Arturo. But Arturo seems really tuned in to the fact that Mia is a troublemaker. Arturo instantly saw Mia, knew that it was going to be a problem, and started getting hostile toward her. Lola, by the way, thinks the same thing. Lola and Arturo are on the same page. Mia is trouble. Yet Ray gives her credit. He is in the dark. And Abby is in the dark, too. Mm, felt a little bad for Abby this week as she is sitting there regaling Mia with stories about when she and Arturo went to Miami. She met with the Rosales family. They went to a favorite restaurant, which clearly meant something to both Arturo and Mia. There was a subtext there of, oh, this may have been a place that they went together. And Abby's sitting there looking like a fool, scheduling a double date with Mia and Ray. <sighs> well... At the Jaboutique party, the Rosales family secret that we've been waiting to blow up finally did blow up. Mia was chit-chatting with Abby, and Abby was starting to ask questions about the rift between the brothers. What's going on with these two? I've been trying to find out for so long. I wish somebody would tell me. Do you have any insight? And Mia, who was high on fun and champagne and being the life of the party, was just about to tell Abby the truth. She doesn't seem to be ashamed of it. When Arturo sees the whole thing, pulls Mia aside, they start to argue. Ray sees it, interjects, and 
Mia just shouts out to everybody that Ray's constant devotion to his work is what drove her to have an affair with Arturo. Oh. Oh. <laughs> there we have it. And there, everyone has it. Everybody at the party heard this. And of course, we see Abby's stunned face in the background, tears already forming in her eyes. Yes! An affair! <gasps> An affair? Infidelity? Betrayal of a family member? Well, I never... Abby lashes out at Arturo for being a cheater. And she lashes out at Lola for not telling her, look, I would be hurt too if I were Abby, but I'm not entirely sure that I would have gone out of my way to make it about me <laughs> in that moment specifically. Um, I don't know. Abby ran out of the party and she was very upset. I don't know when Abby became such a delicate flower that the idea of infidelity offends her virgin ears. She slept with Summer's husband. So, yeah. Abby goes home. She's lying on the couch crying. Arturo is at the front door begging to be let in, begging for the chance to explain himself, but Abby is not budging. Arturo goes back to the party, convinces Lola to switch places with him, go to the mansion, talk to Abby, explain what happened, and Lola does. I thought this was so great. Finally, Lola tells us the full story behind what happened with these Rosales brothers, and it turns out that Arturo and Mia were dating first. <gasps> I did not guess that. I mean, we all knew that there was a subtext. Everybody figured out that Arturo and Mia had an affair. But I didn't think about this extra layer. I thought that was a really smart twist there. The fact that Mia and Arturo had been dating for years, while apparently Ray was spending years with this secret burning love for his brother's wife, never acting on it, never even breathing a word about it, until Arturo and Mia break up. She rebounds over to Ray. He marries her. And then Arturo and Mia end up doing to him the very thing that he spent years never wanting to do to Arturo. I really connected in with Ray this week. Mia must have some kind of bizarre control over him. He was more emotional and raw this week than I have ever seen him. And it really put a lot of his character into perspective for me. I think it demonstrated that there was some depth there. And that's what I was needing to see. I think Ray is the kind of guy who would be so loyal and so devoted to his true love, to his marriage, to allow that affair to cause a rift between he and his brother before just getting a divorce from Mia and being done with her. It speaks a lot about his character. It speaks a lot about how he feels about Mia. For some reason, he 
loves her still. And it all, that also speaks to the reason why Ray has been fighting his feelings for Sharon so much. If you think back on it, when Nick asked Arturo to back away from Sharon after they first had their wedding blow up, Ray tried to. Remember that Ray was really respectful. He he had plenty of opportunities to break in that mattress with Sharon, and he resisted. He didn't want, again, to do to anyone else what was done to him. He would rather, apparently, be miserable yet loyal and in love in, from a distance with a woman who doesn't really love him that much back than to be probably happier and freer of Mia. I just, I mean, it's pretty clear that Mia does not feel the same way about Ray that he feels about her. From the previews of next week, we see Mia having tracked Arturo down at his place of work, rubbing up on him, saying she wants him. Well, Abby walks in and sees the whole thing. I am going to need to see a little less next week of teary eyed wafy Abby running out of the party, running out of the place, and I need to see some more Abby giving me a, a taste of the Newman breast ring. Here we are, one week later, Kyle and Lola have broken up and made up once again. Lola saw Kyle merely talking to Summer. She said she saw them dancing. I don't know what her definition of dancing is, but I didn't see them dancing. I saw them talking to one another. Now, if Lola had seen the part where Summer dragged Kyle into the coat closet and told him that she misses him and she wants him and then planted a big old kiss on him, okay, then I can see being angry. But all Lola saw was them talking. And she gets all jealous and she breaks up with Kyle. Is she crazy? <laughs> She must be crazy because Kyle is so clearly devoted to her. He got her that gig catering the party. He was checking in with her every spare second he had. Even Jack was razzing Kyle about how preoccupied he was thinking about his new girlfriend. What more... Evidence is there that Kyle is into her. What more could she possibly want for him? Oh, but she's not the jealous type. <laughs> she says, I am not the jealous type. Oh, okay. She just refuses to be anyone's second choice. Oh, I get that. I get that. But that's not what's going on here. What Lola really wants is for Kyle to talk to her and only her and never anyone else. And how dare he be seen speaking to Summer. It is insecurity and it is jealousy. Just call it what it is. Um, after Lola has a talk with Abby, she comes back to the party and Kyle is waiting there for her like a man on a leash. 
And he once again is begging her for forgiveness for what I don't know. Again, we're the only ones who saw that kiss. Lola did not see it. And we also saw Kyle telling Summer that he didn't appreciate it. He wasn't into it. He wasn't into her. But Kyle was able to grovel to Lola sufficiently. And they kiss and they dance and they make up again. I love Kyle and Lola together. YNR needs to give this couple a real challenge, and Summer is not a real challenge. All of this jealousy and making up and breaking up is just making Lola look possessive and immature. You broke up with him because you saw him dancing with another girl? What is this, junior high? You want to know how to handle a situation, Lola, where your man is dancing with another girl? Look at Lauren. (laughs) Mia, the flirt of the century, asks Lauren if she can dance with her husband, Michael. And those two get on the dance floor and they're spinning around like a couple of ballerinas. And Lauren Fenmore just stood there, secure looking fabulous in that all-black jumpsuit with the pearl-lined collar, pearl-lined pockets. And she was not bothered. (laughs) It takes a whole lot of woman to let another woman dance with your husband. Not, not, with husband, not even just boyfriend of a couple of weeks. Husband, that is how you do it. It is no secret, YNR Chatters, I am naming Lauren the best dressed of the Jaboteek party. That jumpsuit was incredible, and she owned it. The way she was standing her, with her hands in her pockets, even, she was selling it. <laughs> I want it. She looked great. I really, really think that Abby would be my runner up. I loved the off the shoulder uh, dress. The top of it was just all solid black and then the bottom of it had this beautiful dark floral pattern. But the kicker was that she had these gorgeous matching jewels. She had a necklace and a bracelet and everything was just color coordinated with like blacks and pinks and little bits of green. And she just looked flawless. I also really loved what Carrie was wearing. She was in kind of a geometric silvery dress. I am very interested to know what's up with her and Jack. They were dancing and talking and he walked her to her car and he was being very gentlemanly, but I tell you what, I don't think it's a romance. I think that what's going on between Jack and Carrie right now is just a bridge to the triangle that's going to be forming between her and Devon and Nate. I submit to you two pieces of evidence that support this theory. Number one, in the scene where Jack and Carrie are talking post-dance, Nate and Esther are cutting a rug behind them. That cannot be a coincidence that Nate was in the background of that scene, probably listening Probably observing that Jack and Carrie were becoming close. And my number two piece of evidence is the fact that at the very end of Friday's show, Jack had approached Devon. 
who was also at the party alone and telling him that if he needed a friend or any support that he was there for him and then we saw the shot of Devon lying in bed crying in his bedroom I think that Jack is going to introduce Carrie to Devon that's what I think you tell me Jack and Carrie what's going on there um, okay, well, in the official tradition, since I've given you my first, <laughs> or my best dressed, I have to give you my worst dressed. <sighs> I hated everything Phyllis had on from head to toe. It was awful. First of all, the updo was fine once it was up. But before the party, when she was in her office and the hair extensions were down, she had half of the hair up, but some of the hair extensions were down and swept to the side and coming like down sh shoulder length. And we all know that her hair is not that long. It was really jarring to me. It's It really throws me off to look at someone with short hair one moment and then long hair the next moment. Hello, hair extensions. It shouldn't be that jarring or obvious. It just ruined the illusion for me, but also it just didn't look good. It was a bunch of curls and it, it just didn't seem very Phyllis-like. And that brings me to my second point of what I didn't like was the dress. The dress was not Phyllis-like at all. She was wearing this black lacy thing, which would have been fine, but there was this big, ugly, pink, <laughs> flower applique it was like shoved like someone just shoved it right onto the front of the dress there was no it didn't seem like it was incorporated it was just like you could have picked maybe they ironed it on maybe they picked that up at joanne's crafts and just like ironed on this applique under the front of this beautiful otherwise beautiful dress it was wrong not only was the applique wrong but the color was wrong you're phyllis summers you are the ceo of jabot cosmetics you've been doing nothing but talking about how powerful you are for the last two weeks that rose if it had to been there should have been red that should have been a fire red rose to match your hair color. Why would you go to the trouble of specifically like going back to red? You are red and you're the star of this party. This is your moment. And you pick a big, a dress with a big pink hideous applique on the front of it. Phyllis's dress may have been a miss for me, but her quote from last week was a hit. We all have dirt under our fingernails. I loved it when she said that. It was a wonderful double entendre. She was making a little jab at Sharon on the surface, talking about Nick in front of Nick, but we all know they literally have dirt under their fingernails from the digging that they were doing. I feel like the general audience has dirt under their fingernails from everything that's gone on with that storyline. Quite a few of you guessed that last week's quote came from Phyllis. Congratulations, Jamie, Sandra, Henry, Nancy, Lynn, Rose. I hope that's a red rose <laughs> and not a pink rose applique. Heather, Sherry, Tawny, Michelle, Heather, 
and Mary Kay, or Marky, I wish, tell me once how to say your name and I'll remember it forever, but I'm gonna say Mary Kay. And let's see if you guys can get those right two weeks in a row. Let's go with this quote, I like it, and it seems appropriate. There's bad in the best of us, and there's good in the worst of us. I think that's true. Don't you think that's true? Nobody's all good and all bad. It's good to kind of exist, uh, or to accept that people exist in the middle. There's bad in the best of us, and there's good in the worst of us. Who said it? If you think you know, go to yrchat.com. You can leave your guess there, and if you get it right, you will get your grand shout-out on next week's YNR Chat. All right, let's crack open our chatterbox, starting with Leslie, who says, Nick, would you really put another mother figure in Christian's life and not care what Faith thinks after how she reacted when he moved in with Chelsea? Phyllis is a million times worse, being that she's the reason her parents broke up twice. Oh, Leslie, Nick is not <laughs> running for parent of the year when it comes to this. I mean, talk about acceptance. I guess you just kind of have to accept that Nick is going to blow from woman to woman. And if you're one of his children, you just have to accept it. So sorry, Christian, get used to it. You're going to have a lot of mommies in your lifetime. <laughs> oh, I had a lot of comments about uh, Billy and Sharon. There were a lot of pros and there were some cons. Um, I like this comment from Julie uh, saying that Billy and Sharon together again, I think they'll stay friends. Allie, I remember the wedding scene when Billy was going to marry Chloe and Billy slept with Sharon the night before their wedding. And then Sharon was a bridesmaid for Chloe. And wasn't that the wedding where the, the, with the famous cake fight between Catherine and Jill? Anyway, then Sharon was pregnant, and there were three possible fathers for the baby, Nick, Jack, and Billy. So everyone in GC found out that Billy and Sharon had slept together. That was an awesome storyline. I love Sharon. <gasps> Great comment, Julie. Yes, and as soon as you said that, it really jogged all of my memories. You are so right. So that would have had to have been when she was... Pregnant with Faith. It's so hard not to feel sorry for these poor children, right? But great flashback. And I think you're right that that was the wedding where Catherine and Jill had the cake fight because Catherine was saying, I'm sorry, Chloe, as she smashes the cake in Jill's face. <laughs> oh, that wedding was probably going to be a disaster one way or the other. So why not have a cake fight? Oh, my. Anna says, I... I'm really hoping for Ray and Sharon. They have the best chemistry on the show. Anna, original Anna that is, I think that the chemistry between Sharon and Ray was really turned up this past week. Because last week I wasn't feeling it as much. Ray was seeming a little boring in comparison to Nick and Phyllis. But this week I got the burning desire. I think bringing Ray's backstory into focus really helped enrich the chemistry and the story that's going on in the front burner. Yeah, agreed. Tina Cole says, 
I think Ray needs to take a step back from both Sharon and Mia and think about what he really wants. If Mia never came back, how long would he have stayed apart from her? If Mia never came back and what looks like a new relationship with Sharon would have formed, would he eventually need to divorce Mia to progress with Sharon? He needs to decide if he can stay with Mia with the issues that they're facing, or if he wants to move on with Sharon, or if he wants to be single for a while. Yes, indeed, he does, but I have a feeling he's going to float between the two of them. He's going to feel drawn to the the loyalty of his marriage. Meanwhile, Mia's like messing around behind his back, and he's going to be resisting Sharon all this time, and then he'll probably find out that Mia's messing around, and then he'll just get it on with Sharon. That's my guess, anyway. <laughs> Sharita says, Mia is a whirlwind. I really don't understand how Ray could have married his little brother's first love. It was a bad idea in the first place. Everyone is a hypocrite on this show. I mean, Abby married the doctor who was living with her sister after they fell for one another when he was still with Victoria. Thank you, Sharita. There's another example of Abby encroaching upon someone else's relationship. Stitch! was living with Victoria and involved with Victoria very much when he got involved with Abby. Yeah, no kidding. Mm -mm. Robbie says, okay, it's official. I'm obsessed with Mia. She is so amazing and over the top. She has no shame. I love it. (laughs) I think that is it. She has no shame and that makes her fun. I just think that the actress is really bringing some flair to it. She's bringing some fun and some flair. So even if she's doing all of these naughty things, it makes me interested enough to like her. She's a she's a light troublemaker. She's not really, you know, doing anything too terrible at this point. She's just sort of stirring it up. She's mixing up the trouble. Oh, but Sharon says, "I don't like Mia. She sucks all of the air out of the room." Arturo, Ray, and Lola are amazing, and she makes them look bad. I could see that. Um, Jamie also says she is not digging Mia. Uh, Jamie says, are we supposed to hate her or not? Um, I think her troublemakerness even trumps Summer. Well, I think that's a good point, Jamie. Are we supposed to hate her or are we supposed to like her? It's a little bit of a mystery as to what YNR would have predicted our reactions to her would have been. Maybe, you know, maybe it's going to be half and half. Half people are going to love her, half of people are going to hate her. But yeah, there was also that comparison um, between, that Abby was kind of making um, as Mia being this obstacle in Abby's relationship with Arturo versus Summer being the obstacle in uh, in uh, Kyle and Lola's relationship. So Mia and... Um, uh, I'm losing my mind. Mia and um, Summer <laughs> had this uh, parallel drawn between them. And I, I don't know, man. I don't know who's worse. Summer was pretty bad when she came into town. I mean, trying to break up Billy and Phyllis. I don't know. But, I mean, there's parallels to be drawn with uh, with all of our baddies. <laughs> Diana says, I really like Mia's character as the character is very believable. The actress who plays her does a really great job. It doesn't feel like she's acting. She seems like a person that everybody's come across in life. Insecure and pushy. 
I also like that her body size is not the usual for a soap opera. She has a voluptuous figure that we don't see on the show except for Tracy, but that also makes her character a lot more believable, and not everyone in the whole town should be slim with the same body type. It's not realistic. Oh, I agree so much on, on both of those points, Diana. Maybe... What it is, is not, are we supposed to hate her or like her? Maybe it's, we're supposed to know somebody like her. Because I feel that too. That she she is pushy. And it's probably because of her insecurities. And everybody knows somebody like that. So she's identifiable in that way. But also, as you say, I love that she's curvy. I was thinking the same thing, too. I mean, and she she looks so good. I mean, she looked good at that party, too. I think she's so gorgeous. I want to see Billy hit that. <laughs> oh, I'm a baddie. Laura, you always make me laugh. Uh, Laura notes that Summer kissed Kyle when she wasn't 100% better from her cold. I noticed that too, Laura. That was very irresponsible of Summer. <laughs> Probably spreading her cold around Genoa City. Now, if Lola ends up with a cold, there's a reason to be mad at Kyle. <sighs> well, let's get into Mariah and Tessa. Okay. I know I was very hard on Tessa. <laughs> um, and so, since I feel like I pretty well represented the um, negative aspects of Mariah and Tessa's relationship, I'm going to focus on the comments that I received from the 30 or so percent of you who were pro-Mariah and Tessa continuing on their love story journey. I want to make sure that I'm giving a well-rounded view. I mean, I have to give my opinion. It would be boring if I if I didn't actually have an opinion. But to counterbalance my strong opinion for the week, I am going to read some pro-Mariah Tessa comments from quite a few of you. So here we go. Heather, who I think is Tessa and Mariah's number one fan, um... Heather says, the Tessa-Mariah scenes were amazing. As a Teraya fan, I must say, they are on an emotional roller coaster, and I love it. The great flawed heroes and heroines of soaps make the genre work. From the nefarious Victor Newman to the seductive Mia Rosales to the conflicted Tessa Porter uh, as a few examples. If there was no drama, conflict, or romance among our favorite characters, soaps wouldn't exist, and that would be sad. Yes, good, good. Sharita says, considering Mariah came on the show pretending to be the ghost of Cassie for money from Victor to find out Sharon's secret, and even after she learned Sharon was actually her mom, she still continued to be after Nick, I think Mariah can forgive and understand Tessa's shortcomings and, uh, and will look out for herself. Uh, consequences be damned. Good. Very good. I mean, you know, there's points to be made. It's just all about perspective and um, and, and and drama. We love our drama. That's the point. I will say, even though um, I'm mad at what happened, I love the conversation, and you guys are, are giving it giving it good here. Julie says Mariah made this really complicated. She demands to know the secret that Nikki paid Tessa to hush. 
Tessa told Mariah, you're not going to like this. And then Mariah blames Tessa for her behavior. Two wrongs don't make a right. But I think Tessa found an excellent solution to her problem. These women won't miss the 250K. And they're criminals. I mean, in real life, <laughs> I wouldn't approve. But come on, Mariah, give your girl some credit for a creative solution to her money problems. <laughs> That's one way of putting it, Julie. A creative solution to her money problems. I will give you that. You know, I think we can, we just all, we have our, I've said it a million times, we just all have our, our little windows through which we view the world. And I think we all kind of project our personal stuff onto it. So I know that's what I was doing, and I full well admit it. Um, Mary Kay says... Mariah has been one of my favorite characters, regardless of who she's in a relationship with. I do hope that she and Tessa can make it work. If it doesn't work out with Tessa, that's fine, but it would be a shame if they don't continue with the fact that Mariah might be interested in other women. Her character has grown so much over the years, and to sweep this part of her under the rug would be sad, although I know there are a lot of people who don't want to see it on the show. Well, YNR did plant that little seed couple months ago, before Mariah and Tessa got back together, where Mariah said, hey, I'm attracted to ladies, but I'm attracted to hot men too. So I think that was YNR, making sure to leave that door open regarding Mariah's sexuality. But they have opened the door. So they either need to keep walking through it and walk all the way through it, um, or they, they need to uh, bring somebody else on as a love interest for Mariah. I don't think they should bail out now about Mariah's sexuality by any means, but I also don't want to feel like Mariah has to stay with Tessa just because she's the only um, other potential candidate <laughs> on the show. Bring on another girl. Let there be a proper triangle. That would be preferable to me. I, I, I want um, Mariah to be happy and continue to be true to herself, and I like that the show is representing this demographic so um yeah i wouldn't mind that whatsoever let's see okay tb84 says i really understand the motive why tessa is gathering the money to pay the bad guys because she wants to protect her sister i mean who wouldn't do something like that for family i mean you make a good point we understand tessa's motive no doubt about it. She was doing it to help her sister, plus a little bonus, making sure that they're both taken care of. Um, she she just, uh, as Julie said, had, had the creative solution to her money problem. Marianne says, the actress who played Sheila on both YNR and more recently B&B lost her election bid. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Marianne, because I forgot to check back in to find out if she won or lost. But apparently, Marianne says she lost the election bid. And I wonder if the character will ever return to Genoa City since the last scene on Bold and the Beautiful only had her being a waitress and never seen again. I always thought that Tessa would be a great long-lost daughter or sidekick for Sheila. <gasps> you know what? If YNR did make Tessa somehow related to Sheila, there's a part of me that might be able to accept it a little bit more because I would understand. I would go, oh, okay, you're a spawn of Sheila. I can now make that leap into believing that you're just pure evil. <laughs> 
or at least that you you have that conflict. I just don't think YNR's done enough of a good job to explain Tessa's backstory. I want to like Tessa, and I think YNR dropped the ball, and they kind of blew it when it came to her. But yeah, um, Sheila, that'd be good. Oh, let's see. Zuperplex says, I'm convinced that Tessa was not the culprit behind JT's disappearing corpse. From all indications, she appears to be working alone. That is, unless we're in store for another shocking revelation. I think Victor did it. He had access to JT's emails. He could have done the same snooping like Tessa and discovered the April 13th file showing the Margarita crew and what they did to JT's body. If I'm not mistaken, the whole blackmail episode was initiated after Victor left. When he comes back and discovers what Tessa has done, he's going to make her pay back what she stole, slice off her ear, and send her packing to the same miserable destination as Marco. You convinced me, Zuperplex. You did. Because I, this week as I sat down and started watching Ray's interrogation, I thought, you know what? Yeah. Weiner is going to pin at least some of this on Victor. They're just waiting for Eric Braden to get back, right? Oh, Jillian has a theory. This is fun. Jillian says, remember when Chloe had her apparent suicide, but she just took pills that made her heart stop for a little while? Well, JT could have easily taken those same pills to help with stress or whatever. That's why when Nikki whacked him over the head, they couldn't find a pulse. Then the rest of the story seems a bit ridiculous. JT digs himself out of the ground, escapes without anyone noticing him, and gets into cahoots with Tessa. Um, another thing, JT has to be alive. There's no way that Nikki, Victoria, Phyllis, and Sharon are going to jail for murder and association. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I love this comment, Jillian, because you do remind us that a big hole in everything that happened with JT was the fact that he was popping those pills. YNR never explained that. If they were able to bring that and fold it back in to the reason why JT appeared to be dead, that would be amazing. And also, you're right, JT, you know, he probably is still alive, or at the very least, they're never going to find his body. They are not going to charge these women with homicide. I mean, the fact that Tessa has this footage out there, I mean, that could certainly be used against them. I don't know. I just don't see it. Obviously, they can't. They can't. They're not going to charge half the cast with a homicide. <laughs> oh, here's another fun theory from Connor. Connor says, Esther probably saw the four horse women bury and redig JT's body and thought it was an insult to Chancellor Park. So she's plotting her revenge step by step. Oh, that might be. <laughs> Esther has certainly been on the scene a lot lately, inexplicably. Uh, Diana says, I love the idea that Esther is plotting a revenge. It wouldn't be the first time that Esther tried to use blackmail. Esther did have a major storyline when I first started watching the show as a kid. Ironically, Esther tried to blackmail Mrs. C. She was cutting out letters from magazines to spell out notes and sending them to Mrs. Chancellor. She was trying to extort money. The storyline was one, this storyline was what got me hooked in watching the show. Mrs. C finds out that Esther is the one who's sending the letters, but chooses to forgive her and not fire her. I guess Catherine knew 
that Esther was a good person deep down, as she had already worked for her for a while, but uh, was taken in by temptation to try to become rich. That's an interesting parallel to, to draw this week, too, as we're talking about Tessa. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, th- this is another character who blackmailed and was forgiven. I imagine there's nothing that the characters couldn't do that couldn't ultimately be forgiven. forgiven. But, yeah, I mean, the temptation to try to become rich when you're surrounded with all of these richy rich people is probably pretty strong. Oh. Well, I, you know, I normally would not like to end on a sad note, but Gary had called me on Monday to let me know that Tracy Bregman, the actress who plays Lauren, was on The Talk this week, and her her house in Malibu apparently burned down in the California wildfires. Uh, I didn't know that, Gary. Uh, that is so, so disheartening. I guess um, Gary says that, Uh, Tracy was saying she was just very grateful to be alive. She was able to get her kids and her dogs out of the house, but nothing from her past is left. Um, When she was asked what she had lost in the fire, I guess Tracy was remarking about how what she lost was her past. I mean, if you think about it, you don't just lose the actual physical home there are so many little things photos and notes and cards and probably so many things trinkets that you keep and comfort items that mean something to you and and the things that remind you and take you back to another era um that that, that's just so so heartbreaking to think of her going through that and I know uh, Tracy Bregman lost her father even not even two years ago I don't think so she certainly has had a rough couple of years and so um, I thought I'd bring that up, but, but you know, maybe um, as a way to counteract some of that sadness, we can be grateful for the things that we have, you know, take a moment to just be a little bit grateful, especially since Thanksgiving week has come up. Let's just um, uh, be glad that um, hopefully nothing like that has happened to any of us YNR chatters recently and just, you know, be happy that... Uh, Life is hopefully at least somewhat normal. Speaking of Thanksgiving, that means we are going to get some Thanksgiving episodes this next week. Hopefully we're going to get a little bit of Abbott family dining room table time. That would be my wish for Thanksgiving. Get some of the Abbots together. Bring Tracy back. Let's have an Abbott family Thanksgiving. Our Abbots are front and center. The Newmans have really taken a back seat though, right? Um, and then the other thing is I'm reading, I, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm um, taking uh, from the internet here that there will be no Friday episode. So we're going to get a show on Thursday, but it sounds like no episode on Friday the 23rd. So let's just try to mentally prepare ourselves that there will be only four episodes. If I'm wrong and we get a bonus one, let's ju- we'll just be happy for it, right? Oh, well, that'll give us an extra day to eat, you know? <laughs> I could spend my hour where I would normally be watching Y&R, and I'll just eat instead. I am going to be making chocolate chip pumpkin bread. I am going to be making a chocolate chip cheesecake. I'm really in the mood for chocolate chips right now. <laughs> 
Um, the holidays just feel like a little bit of an excuse to splurge for me. I have had to keep my diet so tight uh, for for most of the year or most of the time now. So I look at Thanksgiving and Christmas as a little bit of a chance to be naughty. And so I'm going to go chocolate chip crazy. Um, and then I think I'm going to make some no mayo deviled eggs because I think, I don't know, I don't really like mayo all that well. I mean, it doesn't bother me if it's in something, but I have no use for a whole tub of it. Or, so I didn't want to buy that. So I'm doing a no mayo deviled egg and then mom will take care of the rest of the meal. I said, mama, I got, I got a toddler. I'll make eggs <laughs> and a whole bunch of dessert. That's what you're going to get from me. Eggs and pie. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I love you. I hope that you all have a really wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, and that you come back and see me next Sunday. You can go to yrchat.com in the meantime if you want to comment about the show or see the ridiculous amount of screen caps that I am doing every single day. I have a problem. I have tried to edit the amount of screen caps that I'm adding to the site every day. I literally will go, Allie, no, you don't need a screen cap. Every single freaking scene, it takes, you know, I got to upload all the photos, and then I'm titling all of them. It takes so much time. And even editing myself, I'm still posting like 20 photos a day. <laughs> it has become an obsession. I need help. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll go seek some counseling or something on Friday instead of watching YNR. When did I become this? <laughs> I don't know. Fan obsession. I don't even think I'm YNR's biggest fan, but I might possibly be YNR's most obsessive fan. <laughs> oh, how humiliating. Okay. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and I will see you next Sunday. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye.